0: Jesus, 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 Lord God, we come in the name of Jesus. We are in your presence, God. And Lord God, your people, we, we have come in the name of Jesus today, Lord God, because we don't want weak, worn down Christianity. We want the power. We want the truth. We want the gospel. We don't want it watered down. And we, want, we don't want to live defeated Christian lives. We want to defeat the enemy, not be defeated, Lord God. And your word is the catalyst to the, to the victory. So thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And thank you for the privilege of studying it together. And thank you for what you will teach us today, God. We will leave stronger and wiser. Lord God, we will leave ready to further the kingdom of God through the power of the gospel. So thank you for teaching us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right, stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle. Um, I had something totally different I was going to teach on, and the Lord just gave this to me, and I just loved studying it. So in the middle, stuck in the middle, Is considered as a definition an unpleasant position it's just interesting to me you know when I look these definitions up it's unpleasant it says she hated conflict and not want to be put in the middle see the middle is something you're put in or he was caught in the middle. you're caught in you're put in no one the the middle stuck in the middle of something is not something that like a sane normal healthy reasonable person does to themselves It's basically something done to them. And I was thinking about, like, in the middle, and I was thinking, first of all, my daughter is in high school. Thank the Lord. Elementary school is so cute. How cute is elementary school? It's adorable. And I'm having a ball with my daughter in high school. I know some people have a difficult time. She's having a great time. It's so much fun. But middle school was horrific. (laughs) And everybody's shaking their head. My goddaughter, Kat's daughter who we basically share daughters, is now in middle school and my heart is breaking for her. Regan's heart is breaking for her because I and I keep and the whole time Regan was in middle school I said, "Honey, when you get to high school it'll be different. In the middle is so hard." The What about this? Middle age. I'm middle age. You're not young. You're not old. You're in the middle, which leads to midlife crisis in the middle. What What about in the middle of nowhere? What about, I even thought, okay, where is the most conflict in the world? The Middle East. They can't help it. They're in the middle. There's going to be conflict. Or what about this? The most obscene universal uh, uh, sign is the what finger? The middle one. Just say it. I'm just saying, in the middle is not a good place to be. And the, I wish this would play. I wanted to, okay, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear this, but just for a moment of level, levity. So I spend probably 50 or 60 hours preparing for these talks. So the whole, for 50 or 60 hours, this song was playing. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear it. This song was playing through my head. You, can you guys hear it? You guys recognize this? Yes, stuck in the middle. Can you hear it? I wish it was over the speaker. I can't believe it's not over the speaker. I'm so annoyed. Can you hear the words? Okay, listen. (laughs) All off my chair, I have to cheat. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Okay, this part is the best part. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. (laughs) I'm stuck in the middle with you. All right, so the whole time, now I can't turn it off. The whole time, um, the whole time I'm studying my Bible study, all I can think is clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, stuck in the middle with you. Anyway, um, but here's the deal the Bible has so. Like a lot of the Bible is about being stuck in the middle. And I i literally, if you guys would have stayed, I could have talked to you about examples for like all day. Like we could have just sat here. So I had to pick and choose because there's so much, so much of the Bible about being stuck in the middle. So I had to pick my tops. And man, God revealed so much to me as I was studying. I was just like, I want everyone to come in their pajamas right now. I want to teach it tonight because I'm so on fire about this. But anyway, um, so let's start with Abraham and Sarah. We know that in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and I hope my podcasters are happy. I've been doing so much better about giving uh, references. I got in a lot of trouble in the past about not giving references. So we know that it says here that... Um, The Lord is talking to Abraham. He says, I make a great nation out of you. I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. You know, everybody's going to be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham was 75 years old. So can you imagine getting this message from God and you're just like, hey, this is awesome, right? We're like, let's get busy. Let's start creating this nation that's going to come through us and blah, blah, blah. What God did not tell him and what we all know is that it was going to be 25 years until they had their first child and he's 75 years old when he gets the message right so there's gonna be a long long middle of waiting and what happens in this long long waiting and God made it very clear that the baby was gonna come through Sarah he says she'll be the mother of nations he told Abraham it will be through Sarah but what happens in the middle Sarah has a midlife crisis and it is a misnomer that only men have midlife crises. It is, we, but, and so so Sarah has a total, total, total meltdown. And I cannot prove this, but I believe it with all my heart. I think what happened is she went into menopause and lost her mind because I she literally thinks, so first of all, she goes into panic mode, which makes me think truly she went into menopause because she's like, I'm never gonna be able to have this baby. I know I'm going into menopause. I'm never going to be able to have this baby. We're in the middle of this thing. God did not keep his promise. And so you know you are in a major crisis of the way you think because when you're in the middle and when you've been there for a long time, you've waited for a long time, you start to doubt God's promises, you think he's not going to come through and you make in the middle bad choices. I've done it. And she makes in the middle middle bad choices and the father of faith, the the father of the whole entire nation of Israel, instead of saying to her, Sarah, this is a really bad, uh, metapausal decision. Let's not do this. He is laid back and lets her lead when he shouldn't have. So he lets her lead this situation, and enter Hagar. And you know it's very bad if your solution to your really bad family dynamic problem is to insist that your husband sleep with another woman impregnate her and then all three of you are going to live together as a happy family like this is a seriously bad decision and by the way I've heard people say well that was just common back then there is no other place in the Bible where a woman says to a man to her husband you need to go marry another woman and we're all just going to live. I mean, other, men married more than one woman, but you never see the wife suggesting this, right? This is not ever, ever happened anywhere else. This does not make sense. It's a bad in the middle decision. And Abraham goes with it. And poor Hagar is just a slave girl. And she gets dragged into the middle of this whole situation. So now she's in the middle of a situation that is completely dysfunctional. So what happens? Genesis 14, Oh, sorry. 16, 4 through 16, and I am doing the Amplified version because, um, and I like to tell you that there's some commentary in the Amplified that I, that I really like. So when Hagar, this is the other woman that Sarah's brought in to have a baby, realized that she had conceived, she looked with contempt at her mistress regarding Sarah as insignificant because of her infertility. Then Sarah says to Abraham, may the responsibility for the wrong done to me by the arrogant behavior of Hagar be upon you. Now she's blaming him. <laughs> so she lost her mind. So if you are having a bad menopausal moment and you really go off the rails, you can be comforted that you're not the first one in history because I really believe that's what's happening here. But anyway, so now she's blaming him. Okay, I gave my maid into your arms and when she realized that she had conceived I was despised and looked on with disrespect. May the Lord judge who's done right between you and me. Now Abraham... But Abraham said to Sarah, look, your maid is entirely in your hands and subjected to your authority. Do as you please with her. So Abraham, once again, is passive when he really shouldn't have been. That's wrong, right? But listen, I love the Bible. It's so honest and raw. Do you know what God hates? Fake religion. He really hates He hates it when people fake it and act all righteous and perfect. And I mean, God puts it all out there, not to shame people, but to be real. We're supposed to be real. So, okay. So Sarah, I mean, so Abraham, I mean, he doesn't defend this poor girl. It's not her fault. So Sarah treated Hagar harshly, humiliated her, and and Hagar flees from her. These are our founding fathers. I mean, nobody gets it perfect, right? So the angel of the Lord finds Hagar by a stream of water in the wilderness on the road to Egypt, which is the way back home. She was a slave from Egypt. And he says, Hagar, Sarah's maid. It's a little tough. He calls her, he says, you need to submit. I mean, this is a, he's saying, you need to submit. He says, where did you, he's calling her his maid. Where did you come from and where are you going? And Hagar says, I'm running away from my mistress Sarah. And the angel of the Lord says to her, go back to your mistress. Submit humbly to her authority. I mean, Sarah and Abraham are wrong here, right? They're wrong. But he tells Hagar to go back and submit. I I want to tell you, I have been in that position before where God tells me to go back. My marriage, you guys have heard the story and I don't have time. I have so much to tell you guys today, but God told me go back and submit. I've been in that situation with my marriage, but I've been, I mean, other people have been, I mean, my people have been in those situations with their jobs, with all kinds of things. Go back to your mistress and submit humbly to her authority. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Behold, you're with child, and you will bear a son, and you will name him Ishmael, which means God hears. That's the name of Ish- what that means. Because the Lord has heard and paid attention to your persecution and suffering. You know what I like? He did not minimize how they were treating her. I hate when people do that. That hurts. Whatever you're hurting, when you're hurting like that, and it's a legitimate hurt, And someone minimizes it. You know what it does? It pours gasoline. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. It's cruel. So the angel acknowledges the truth of the situation. He doesn't paint rose-colored glasses on it. But he also says, you've got to go and submit to it. I see your suffering. But he says, and uh, let's see, where was it? Because the Lord has heard and paid attention to your persecution and suffering. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are God who sees For she said, have I not even here in the wilderness remained alive after seeing God who sees me with understanding and compassion? Now, is it this interesting? She says she's praising him. Because when she's stuck in the middle of this bad situation that she had put herself in, she feels like God doesn't see. All she needed to know is that he sees and he's at work on her behalf. And even though he's telling her to do something, she does not want to do. She does it out of obedience and there's blessing and, and, and she understands that God is being compassionate. And can I tell you when God so clearly told me to go back, I felt that feeling. I was like, but God is with me this time. I felt alone before. Now I know he sees, I don't want to go back. This is painful, but he sees and I can do it because now I'm doing it for him. And so, the well, where the the well of the living one who sees, she names this thing. So, Hagar gave birth to Abraham's son, and Abraham named his son Ishmael, which means God God hears her. The name of the son is after her, which back then, you named the sons after the father. God named the son after the servant girl, who they totally disregarded. Abraham is how old? 86, right in the middle. 75, when God comes... 86 when he makes a big old fat in-the-middle mistake um, but what happens when she goes back so now she's the, she has the son and they all three live happily ever after no it was a bad situation she goes back into a bad situation by the way when I went back to my bad situation in my marriage it was bad for years now, can I tell you how glad, and you, you know I've talked about this and I don't want to spend time, on. but do you know how glad I am God told me to go back? That man hung the moon to me. I mean, we are insanely in love. We are a little happy bubble all the time. I mean, God gave it back to me so much better. But for three years, he made fun of my faith. He put me down. He was, he was mean. You know, but he I listened to God. I did it for God. And man, am I glad I did. But it wasn't a fix. It wasn't an instant fix. I stayed in the middle. So now Hagar's in the middle. Abraham and Sarah are in their middle. Hagar is in her own personal middle. And this is not a happy family. This is a hot mess of dysfunction. You think your situation is dysfunctional. Believe me, you're not the only one. The Bible is full of dysfunctional families. You know, I mean, and so... What we see is, Abraham has Isaac when he's 100, so that means Ishmael's 14 years old. Then they say, when the weaning ceremony of Isaac happens, Ishmael makes fun of Isaac. Because, of course, Ishmael's jealous. He's been the man. Now he's about 16 years old. They say it took about two years to wean the baby at that time. So he's about 16 years old. He's being replaced by this baby. He's hurt. And so Sarah, once again, and I don't think we can blame menopause 16 years years later. Sarah just doesn't have this whole thing right, you know. But anyway, Sarah says, get rid of him. And Abraham says, takes it to God. And Abraham says, I don't want to get rid of him. That's my son. By the way, he doesn't care about Hagar at all. She's not even mentioned. Not in his factor. He doesn't care if she goes. Hagar's never valued. That hurts me. I mean I read that that hurts me but you know what God took care of it so he takes it to God and God says no she's got to send her away send her away with her son and so now she's being sent away well when she's sent away 16 years later it's a very different situation now I I, I want to talk about this because there are times when God tells you And we're talking specifically right now about stuck in the middle of family dynamics. We're going to talk about a lot of different dynamics. But this is family dynamics. Stuck in the middle with family. Man, nothing hurts like family. And I I feel like God started the nation of Israel off with some really painful family problems because he's he's the healer of it all. And when you're, I mean, I have been gutted. My heart has just been shattered by family at times. And I know I'm not the only person in the room. And and there are times when God, like I talked about with my husband, but I've had other family relationships where God said, no, I want you to stay in that. And it hurts, and it's not right, and it's not fair, but I want you to stay. And then do you know there's been other times with other family dynamics where God said, now it's time to leave. And do you know what? When he says it's time to not leave, but let it go, That hurts too. That hurts so bad. They both hurt. Because family that is not healthy hurts. And faith does not anesthetize you to the pain. So now, Hagar and Ishmael are being sent away and once again, she's out in the wilderness, sobbing and and heartbroken. And once again, an angel shows up. But who does the angel show up to? Not Ishmael, the grown man who's 16 years old, who's the big star of the family. Her, the servant girl. He comes to her. She's seen again. She, God sees her. God cares for her. And he said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, out of your son. I am going to take care of you. You don't need them. I I told you to go back before because I wasn't done with you yet. And you know what? Thank God she went back before because if she didn't go back before, she would have just been a servant girl, knocked up, nameless, penniless, reputationless, and like a teenage poor girl. Now she leaves, her son is the son of a great man, well known in the region. She is the mother, her son is now grown and can take care of her. She's not the vulnerable little girl she was before. See this is, they leave in a much better position. And he goes on, Ishmael goes on, to live to be 137 years old. He goes on to have 12 children. Her stuck in the middle for 16 years, blessed his life for 137 years. Her stuck in the middle that she stuck it out when everything in her wanted to leave, that she stuck it out when God told her to, but then also that she left when God told her to. Because what if she would have kicked and screamed and tried to stay? It would have been a disaster. She left when she was supposed to. She stayed when she was supposed to. She was guided by God each time. Not her own feelings. Sorry, not her own feelings. So this time, this is blessed. Her son's life is blessed. He has 12 children, 12 sons. And we don't know how many daughters. But what we do know is that they became reputable. Because this is a crazy twist of events. Isaac... Who is the nemesis of Ishmael right Isaac has two sons Jacob and Esau Esau realizes that his parents are upset because he's married some women that are um, you know he had a couple he had three wives he realizes he's married two women that are pagans and his parents are unhappy so do you know what he does to try to redeem himself with his parents marry Ishmael's daughter that's what raised his standing with his parents. Marrying that because Ishmael had been raised up, he's not the slave son. They're not th- this. And he, Ishmael goes on to establish many nations, and his mother is now the grandmother of how many children, and she is the matriarch of many nations. She submitted when she was supposed to submit. She left when she was supposed to su- leave. But the middle hurt, and it lasted a long time. But it was right for her to do it the right way. To do it God's way. Each time she didn't want to leave when she had to leave. She didn't want to stay when she had to stay. But each time she followed God and look what he did with it. Stuck in the middle, doing it God's way. It hurts. It hurt Abraham and Sarah for 25 years. It hurt her for 16 years. Long middles. Not just like a week or two, right? Years. You think it's never going to end. You think it's never going to get better, right? Okay, let's talk about stuck in the middle from your own bad choices. I doubt I'm the only person in the room who's been stuck in the middle by their own bad choices, but let me tell you, I spent years in this one. This is the one that brought me to my knees, filled me with the Holy Spirit, and turned my life around. But stuck in the middle because of your own choices. Stuck in the middle because you've wrecked relationships. Stuck in the middle because you took things in your own hands. Stuck in the middle because of substance abuse. Stuck in the middle because your character is too weak and you're not, you just don't do the right thing. And you know you should and you feel like you even maybe want to or maybe sometimes you do and sometimes you don't want to but whatever it is, you made a mess. And now you're stuck in the middle of it. So that would be Jacob. And guess who Jacob is? Jacob is Isaac's son. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So this is the son of Isaac. Okay? Isaac, when Rebekah, who is Isaac's mother, was pregnant... And of course, they did not have sonograms in the day. Um, she was like, she went before God because there was so much going on with her, in her belly with this baby. And she goes before God and she says, God, what is going on? I, I don't have access to a sonogram right here in the middle of the desert. What is happening? And he says, there are two babies in your womb. And it's two nations and they're fighting each other in the womb. And so when she gives birth to them, there is literally a, a fight to get out first. And uh, Esau comes out first and Jacob is holding his heel. Literally, the babies are born. The Bible says Esau, Kat has had twins. Wouldn't it be nice to just bada boom, bada bing? They're just right, both out in one big, but they both come flying out. And you got Jacob holding onto the heel of Esau fighting and jockeying for position even in the womb you know it's funny my daughter we saw the pictures um, you know when she was we had the great sonogram the 3d and she was sucking her little thumb in my womb and we had such a hard time and I hated when I had to make her stop sucking her thumb because it was such a cute little baby thing but I'm like it's so hard because I saw in the womb that was already part of who she was so it was very I understood this is very hard for her to let go she was even doing it in here in my belly this is who he already was in the womb he was jockeying for position He was wrestling. He was fighting. He was a fighter even then. He was a manipulator. And he comes out and he grows up and he cheats his brother. He cheats his father. He lies. He steals birthrights. He manipulates. He does all this hot mess of a stuff. And he and his mama have a very dysfunctional relationship and she helps him do all the bad stuff. And they got mother-son issues. And so now he's on the run because Jacob was a chef. And Esau was a hunter and a warrior. So if you're a chef and you have completely screwed over, your hunter-warrior brother, and now he wants to kill you, you got no way to protect. You're going to die. You're a chef. That's all he's got. So he is on the run because he knows he has screwed up so bad and he is dead meat. So he goes on the run. And he has... He spends 20 years in the middle. He goes to Laban, becomes his father-in-law. Laban cheats him. See, the word karma is a secular word that is a biblical principle, which means you reap what you sow. And he reaped all this manipulation and all this stuff, and man, he met his match with his father-in-law Laban. And Laban, uh, you know, I mean, talk about a manipulation He worked, he fell in love with his younger the Laban's two daughters, right? You guys know the story, but just in case. Falls in love with the younger one. The older one is the good personality girl. The young one is the beauty. And he thinks he's married. He worked seven years and it said he was so in love, it felt like it was a day. And he wakes up the next morning, and somehow he wakes up in bed with the older one, good personality girl and not the younger one, the one he's in love with. And Laban says, oh, I lied. You gotta work seven more years if you want her. And he knew he'd do it because he knew he was madly in love with her. So, and then he goes and changes his, uh, his wages 10 times, just cheats him and cheats him and cheats him and cheats him 20 years. But all that fussing and all that cheating and being cheated and all that reaping and sowing changes him. See, God knows how to, in the middle, change us. So in the middle, he changes. And it's interesting. One thing you see a lot of in the Bible, and I think we could all say in our own lives, is right before there's breakthrough, it gets darkest before the dawn. So he has a darkest before the dawn moment. He's had to run from his father-in-law. His father-in-law wanted to kill him, but an angel showed up and said, if you touch him, I'll kill you. So he's like, okay. So, but he has to go through where his brother lives and his brother is waiting with 400 of his best friends who are all warriors and they're waiting for him. And he's like, I am going to die 20 years later. And so he says, I got to go be alone with God. I'm going to seek God. God, you got to help me. And so he goes up on the mountain. He has to face his brother the next day. He goes up on the mountain. And what happens on the mountain when he cries out to God? Now what you think. He doesn't come and speak nice. He fights him. God fights him. He says, so Jacob was left alone up in the mountain and a man, and it says man, but it's all capitalized. We know that this is God wrestles, but as far as Jacob knew, it was a man. I mean, he knew it was probably knew it was God, but he, a man wrestles with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. So they fight all night long. But Jacob replied, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. I like his spunk, I got to tell you. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answers. Then the man says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You know, God likes a fighter. He just does. I mean, so he says, you've overcome. Then he blessed him there. The sun rose him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. I mean, I just see this picture. They fight all night long, and now the sun is rising, and he's victorious, but he's, he's limping, but he won. It's like a Western or something where, you know, at the end, he's limping. In the, the day, day But here's the thing. Obviously, God could have overcome Jacob at any moment, right? God wrestled with him all night. God wore his butt out. He just wore, he's like, you want to fight? Come on. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, man, come on. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, you think, first of all, you think you're a wimpy cook. You're really not. Like, you're a fighter. Like, first of all, I want you to see you for what you are. You're a real man. You know, we, God likes real men. Our society is trying to make men into women these days. That is not what God, God likes real men. And He is like, come on, you are a real man. You're a fighter. And, and he, says, he says, we're going to rest. We're going to fight this out. And I'm going to wear you down emotionally. And I'm going to wear you down physically. And I'm going to wear you down with all your manipulations and self effort and all the stuff you keep doing. And in the end, I'm going to make you, when you're done with all that, I'm going to make you into Israel. His name is the name of the, of the nation he's Israel. That's a great honor. And and so when he becomes Israel, so Jacob, what Jacob means is, Jacob means uh, deceiver, supplanter, heel grabber. Israel means prince. God says, "For 20 years I'm going to I'm going to beat you down. I'm going to let you reap what you sow." But that's not my plan. God's plan is redemption. For anybody who will just submit They're stuffed to him. And this is his own character flaw. This isn't something done to him. This is a big, hot mess that he made. But God is a redeemer and a restorer. And he's like, son, if you'll wrestle with me and you'll persevere and you'll be an overcomer, I just want to bless you. And I want to make you from the heel grabber to the prince of this entire nation. And and he says, your heel grabbing days are over. And you know what? We don't ever see him manipulating like that again. Never again. He 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 is restored and redeemed through these 20 years of the beatdown into somebody who is a prince among men. That's who God wants him to be. And we see him limping across the finish line. In the old days, he would have manipulated his way across the finish line. He limps across the finish line. And, and, and I would just want to say this people who manipulate manipulate because they're insecure, they're scared. They feel like God will not come through. They don't trust God and insecure is a really big word in society. It's a very big buzzword, which by the way, you don't find anywhere in the Bible, but it's a psychobabble word and it's given a lot of esteem in our society. See, we are to find our security in Christ. So it's interesting. Jacob is scared to see Esau. Esau met him with a big old hug. Esau had forgiven him who knows how long ago. They hug it out. There's no conflict at all. The conflict was really between Jacob and God. God broke his hip. (laughs) He wasn't scared of God. He went looking to God for help. God broke his hip so he could raise him up and he goes limping across the finish line instead of manipulating across the finish line because God said, you know how you get cured of your insecurity? Stop looking at yourself. I am going to make you, so you're going to face your brother very vulnerable and weak. You can't fight, if he thinks he's going to fight for his life against 400 men, you certainly can't do it with a broken hip. He could barely walk. His gait was never the same. His walk never looked the same. Can I tell you, God broke my hip. Not my real one. But in my life, he broke my hip. And my walk with him has never looked the same. And and sometimes there's scars from the process. But I tell you what, it's worth it. Because he takes you from the the insecure manipulator to understanding. It's all from him. It all comes from him. And he says, I'm going to redeem you. But but you're going to have to stop getting your security from yourself. Stop manipulating. Get it from me and change the way you do things. And all I want to do is bless you and raise you up. All he wants to do is bless us and raise us up. So, in the middle with your own bad choices, your own bad character, your own failures, redemption. But you might be in the middle of a while. Depends on how long you're going to wrestle God. The, the, The quicker you stop wrestling him, the faster you get through the other side. But sometimes we wrestle a little longer than we, if we only understood what we were doing. Then we have Joseph. Do you know who Joseph is? Joseph is Jacob's son. So we've talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now Joseph is Jacob's son. Now Joseph is his favorite son, and he is a great man of character. Do you know why I believe Joseph was a great man of character? Because I believe that by the time Joseph came along, Jacob raised him upright. Jacob raised him upright, I believe. He sowed into his life. Can't, it's my theory. But for whatever reason, Joseph was a true man of character. But his brother hate, brothers hated him for it. <clears throat> By the way, you find this a lot. You walk closely with God. The Bible says, Jesus himself said, a prophet is honored everywhere but within his own family. Jesus said that. Mother Mary, Mother Mary, there's some stuff. I'll talk, I'll save that for another sermon. I'm going to get off on a rabbit trail. There was some stuff there that hurt Jesus along the way with his own family. And so when you're doing the right thing, sometimes your own family is going to be the ones who hurt you the most. And that's what happens with Joseph. Joseph knows he has a destiny and yet he is deprived of human basic rights Of basic dignity, of basic justice, in the middle with human basic rights. Because we know what happens is at 17 years old, Joseph is sold by his brothers because they hate his righteousness. They sell him. He is sent to Potiphar's house as a slave. He's in the middle. Sent to Potiphar's house as a slave. Then falsely accused of sexual misconduct when he was doing what's right. And, you know, I mean, listen, that stuff goes on today, too, right? Women falsely accuse men. And, and, of course, sometimes they rightly accuse it. But I'm just saying it works both ways sometimes. In this case, this woman accused him of something. He did everything right, and he gets sent to jail for rape when he did everything right. He honored God in every way. The more he did the right thing, the more things got bad. Then he gets to jail... And he's in jail, and he is serving everyone in the jail. And so do you think, okay, good, I'm doing everything right, now things get better. No, he was in the jail for years. And then he's still serving people, and he sees that these men are troubled, and he's so selfless that he acknowledges, he sees, he's like, you're really hurting. What's going on? He interprets dreams. He's still serving others. He's still thinking of others in the middle of his middle. And even though he kept doing the right thing and everything kept going wrong, he's still honored god in the middle he's deprived of freedom he's deprived of dignity of i mean he's deprived of everything decent so in the middle uh he interprets her dream he says please tell them i'm in here falsely they forget about him for two and a half years the disappointment he had hope maybe i'll get out disappointment 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 the more I do what's right the more it goes wrong how many times I've, I've really experienced that in my life and all the disappointment that goes along with that but then in an instant in a day in 24 hours he goes from being the lowliest person in the prison to being second in command in the world at that time Egypt was the greatest superpower of the world and he was second under Pharaoh in an, in 24 hours So he's in the middle for 13 years of just the basic human rights. But these middles create leaders. And if you noticed, I just gave you four generations. The first four generations of the nation of Israel. And you know it's amazing? I didn't even realize it until I was studying. And I'm like, these were the first four founding fathers. And look what they go through. I mean, Abraham, 20 years. Jacob, tw- I'm sorry, Abraham's 25. Jacob's 20. Joseph's 13. And that's an extremely long time to be stuck in the middle with real pain. Then you go and you look at the dynasty of the kings of Israel, and you've got King David. The greatest king. So we're looking at the greats of the Bible. The greatest king. What happens to David? The greatest king. He's anointed as king at 15. He's like, This is awesome. My family ignored me. I was stuck out in the field. Nobody paid any attention to me. Now I'm anointed. I go out, you know, I kill lions, bears, and Goliath. Everything's going great for me. He marries the king's daughter. He's best friends with the king's son. He's like, I am well on my way to to being king. I am, I I mean, this is, everything's working perfectly. And and they would have pep rallies, and the pep rallies would say, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands, and the whole nation was cheering him. And then all of a sudden, what happens? He finds himself sneaking out of his own bedroom window, running for his life. His father-in-law has decided he wants to kill him, not make him king. And he all of a sudden finds himself smack dab in the middle. And let me tell you, his middle was brutal. So first thing that happens in the middle, his father-in-law immediately gives his wife away to another man. Ouch. Um, and the, and the, the Bible talks about how um, she, Michelle, was madly in love with David. So it was a heartbreak. Um, it was a heartbreak then this is horrific i mean this middle is and i just picked some of the highlights i'm going to read this to you because some of you might not know the story but david goes and gets bread from the priests they do not know that he's running from saul and he goes and gets bread and it says king saul when king saul finds out that he got bread from the priest king saul orders his bodyguards kill these priests of the lord for their allies allies and conspirators with david They knew he was running away from me, which they did not, but they didn't tell me because Saul had lost his mind. I mean, he was absolutely crazy by now, but Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's prophet. Then the king said to this up, Zoag, you do it. And this guy is an Edomite. He's not an Israelite and he doesn't fear God. So he turns on them. He kills them that day. 85 priests still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to the town where the priests live and he kills their families, every man every woman, every child, every ba- baby, all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Because of David, one person from all of that family escaped, and the one person who escaped goes and tells David and David says, "This is my fault." I mean, he didn't tell the priest that he was on the run because he was trying to protect them, but Paul, I mean, uh, Saul goes and has them all killed. So now David is trying to seek refuge from another kingdom. And when he goes and shows up to the king, the king is like, hey, uh, didn't they have pep rallies saying you killed 10,000? Uh, I don't know about you. And we see in 1 Samuel 21, 12 and 13, David heard these comments and was very afraid of what the king, uh, the king of Gath might do to him. So he pretends to be insane, scratching on doors, drooling down his beard pretty tough middle, pretty tough middle. So he moves out of the palace, so he can't stay in this kingdom. So he moves out of the palace, he moves into caves. He now goes from the palace to hiding in caves. And he is not hiding with the best and the brightest of Israel. You know who he's hiding with? Here we go, 1 Samuel 22, two. Others began coming to him, men who were in trouble, in debt, or just discontented until David was a captive of about 400 men. The dregs of society come out to his little cave and he is down, he is hiding out at the bottom of the barrel. And you know what? God, God says, you know, we look at humans, we'd say, okay, well this has to be done by a human. This has to be fixed by a human. God's like, I'm going to make you King with the, you know, whatever the, it's not the person. Don't think you have to have the best of the best and you, you just, I'm going to send you you who I send you. But just like all the others, the darkest before the dawn, we have a darkest before the dawn moment. So the people who give him refuge say, you're going to have to go out and fight Israel. He's supposed to go out and fight his own family with his own men. He shows up like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to show up. The other kings that that guy's fighting with, they're like, we don't trust this guy. We heard the pep rally. He killed us ten thousands. This keeps coming back to haunt him or protect him, whatever. What case? He's like, we're not fighting. We don't trust him. You send him home. They go back to go home. David and all his men. You know what they find? Everything is gone. Raiders had come in, stolen every man, every child, every the mothers, every woman. Every animal, every single, there was, it's nothing, it's an empty field. Every single thing is gone. Nothing is there. And so this is the darkest moment. And we read about it in 1 Samuel 30, 3 through 6, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they couldn't weep anymore. And by the way, these are really, really tough fighters. David's two wives were among those captured, so his wives are gone too, David is now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk about stoning him. So now his own men, all he has is the dregs, and now they want to kill him. But he finds strength in the Lord his God. Very, very tough middle. But what happens is God gives him a battle plan. And here, this is the thing. We have to seek God in the middle. Seek God in the middle. Seek. Dave has been in the middle for a long, Dave's been in the middle for 15 years now. 15 years he's been in the middle. And he's seeking God, even at this, the lowest point. He doesn't say, God, I've been listening to you. I've been following you. You anointed me 15 years ago. You didn't come through. You're never going to, I've had this vision for what you, you gave me this vision. You set my sights high and now look at where I am. No, he doesn't do that. He just says, God, I'm pressing into you. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to trust on you. And so the Lord gave him a battle plan. He goes, he recovers everything. Not one child, not one animal, not one person, not one item is missing. And not only is it not missing, but he, come, he gets all the booty from his enemies. They have all, they've been raiding all over the place. And they get everything. So God gives it back way, way more. And when he gets home he finds out that King Saul is dead and he gets crowned king right then and there. He's like 24 hours away from being named king. He doesn't know it, he's been waiting for 15 years. And you know what, all along the way, people kept saying to him, you gotta kill Saul. You gotta kill him. You gotta take matters into your own hand. And repeatedly, God allowed him to be in positions where he could have just done it his own way. And every time David's like, no, I'm, I'm gonna do it the right way. Maybe he had read Hagar's story. Maybe he says, you know what, it's better to wait on the Lord. I'm not going to just manipulate this. I'm not going to. I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to do it the right way. And God crowns him king. And, it's, and it gets darkest. But during those dark years, those 15 years, God converts David from a shepherd to a king. From a boy to a man of God. And you know what? There's two kings. There's a king before him and a king after him. King Saul, the very first king of Israel, was never tested. He's named king. He's made king. It's easy street. He was obviously a train wreck, and that's just a tiny portion of it. He was horrible. He was evil. But then David's son Solomon follows him, and although Solomon starts out well, and God blesses him with all this wealth and all this wisdom, he's never tested. He never has a hard day of his life. Do you know he destroys the kingdom? God wanted Israel to stay in the bloodline of David. And by the time Solomon was done, his son, 10 of the, so there's 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them left his son. Only two stayed with with him because of what King Solomon did. Because he was not tested. He was a leader who was not tested. And And the kings who were not tested, David was the greatest king. He had the hardest testing. So we see, we see the power of the, of the middle. And listen, it's not just the Old Testament people. It's also the New Testament people. Peter, Peter, the rock on which the church is built, right? Peter, he starts out very cocky, very self-assured, very full of himself. And he ends up the rock upon which the church is built. What ha- he's always talking too much he's always doing stuff he shouldn't do He's always. what happens in the middle we see in Luke 22, 31-34 and this is the Amplified again Simon, Simon Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you Simon that your faith may not fail and you once you've turned back again to me strengthen and support your brothers in the faith and Peter said to him Lord I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death Jesus says nah Peter I'm telling you before the rooster crows today you're gonna utterly deny that you've known me three times just in a matter of hours he's so sure he's like and in other places Peter says hey everybody else might abandon you I never will he's very self-assured and it's interesting because Jesus prays that his faith won't fail but his faith does fail but see with the Lord saints are just sinners who get up again with the Lord He doesn't consider, he says, when you turn back. He knows Peter's going to fail, but it's not. See, utter failure is when you don't turn back to God. Failure with God is when you don't go back. This is, they go back. He goes back. And so he's like, listen, I'm going to make you the rock. So there's a sifting. There's a testing. There's a trial. But in the end, we see what happens. We see the, the power of what happens. Do you know Jesus had a middle? Jesus had a middle. We read in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what the word, do you know what Garden of Gethsemane means? It means crushed olives, olive press. Jesus is crushed. We read in Mark 14, starting in verse 32, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John, his three best friends, and he became deeply troubled and distressed and he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus feels like he is hurting so bad it's going to kill him. I mean, Jesus is not an exaggerator. He is hurting. He is in so much distress. He's like, this is going to kill me. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it, is, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returns and he found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, the one who five seconds ago was like, I'm going to, hey, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even an hour? When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, they're still sleeping. He said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of the sinner. Here we go. And of course, he was betrayed by one of his disciples. You know, it's interesting. In Jesus' darkest hour, he wanted his people. You know, people who try to go Christianity alone. People who are like, oh, I don't need church and I don't need fellowship. Even Jesus, God surrounded him with 12 disciples and three best friends. And in his hour of distress, Jesus expected them to show up for him. And they broke his heart. They broke his heart. When you are in a trial and the people who love you most don't show up for you, it is devastating. And even Jesus wanted his people to care, to show up, to to be there. And so not only is he dealing with the distress of the cross that is looming, but the hurt Of The betrayal of of Judas, but not just Judas. Peter, James, and John, his three best friends, who here he's saying, I'm hurting so badly, I think I'm going to die. And they fall asleep on him three times. And he keeps coming back and being like, don't you care? Don't you see the distress I'm in? Have you been there? I have. I have been there. And the hurt of when you're hurting and nobody cares is so Heartbreaking. And so Jesus is crushed by those closest to him as well as the, the, the thought of the cross. Judas, Peter, Peter betrays him, Then these three totally, utterly fail him. It's interesting, though, the crushing is talked about in Hebrews 5, whoops, push it off, 5, 8 through 9. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. Jesus, God's son, learned obedience from the things he suffered because he was human. So he had a choice whether or not to. And he had to learn obedience like we have to learn obedience. He never sinned. But his suffering taught him how to be the good high priest. I mean, listen, if Jesus Jesus is going to go through the crushing, so are we. I mean, if it, if there is no, and listen, God tells us, he doesn't tell us nothing bad's ever going to happen. If you hear people on TV or whatever, and they say, oh, Christianity, everything's going to be great. Listen, God does work it all for good, but you go through, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you go through stuff. As a matter of fact, he promises we will. John 16, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials. Wait, you can have peace in me. You're going to have many trials and sorrows. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. He's saying, take heart. I'm going to work it out for good. But you're going to go through stuff. And it's going to be the middle. And it's going to hurt. You know, when I study this, whew, it helped me so much. I'm going to try not to ugly cry if I talk about this. I've been in the middle for a while. It's been hard. You know, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 2008, transformed my life. And I started on a journey with God. 2010, I'm at Kat's house. My goddaughter is being born. She's just a couple days old. And I have my 40th birthday just a couple days after she's born. And I'm there. Helping Cat, although Cat's had seven children. And you really can't help her with kids. You, just, you really just get in the way. But anyway, I was trying to help. Uh, and God woke me up in the middle of the night. It's two years, two months after I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he gives me a word on my birthday. Very powerful word about how he wants me to do ministry. Very personal, very powerful. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to ever do that. I mean, I'll never say no, but can we talk about this? It's 40. My 41st birthday, again, in the middle of the night, the Lord wakes up, and I literally, I have four single-spaced, single the Lord spoke to me. And, you know, if you've never had that experience, it's very hard to explain. But when you have it and you know it, you know it. And it was profound. So my, and I thought, this is really cool. Every year, God's going to show up. Do you know he's never showed up on my birthday since? Just, and I thought it was going to be a yearly thing. And can I tell you, I have had some fits on my birthday. I'm like, <laughs> I thought we had a date. That was it. <laughs> that was it. So that's, that's that's 2010, 2011. 2012, I move here to North Carolina. And God starts a ministry through me. Unbeknownst to me. <laughs> I didn't go out to start it. It's a story. Um and i just was teaching i never wanted to stand up and teach never wanted to do this and so um somebody had asked me to start teaching them over the phone i just start teaching over the phone they would call in i'd teach back then you guys are lucky back then i would teach two three hours and they'd be on the phone Kat, the only person in this room who was in that, we, that group is still together. That group is the leadership of the backbone of this ministry. I didn't know we were creating a leadership. Kat was on the phone back then, and they would get on. They were hungry, and I had the power and the truth and, of the Holy Spirit that God had been revealing to me all these years. But I would be so scared to teach over the phone. I would get sick every single time. I would get sick every single time for hours before I would teach, and I would just be like, I'm gonna do it sick, cause I know if I don't do what God's told me to do, I'll be sick for the rest of my life. Eventually it stopped. But I was scared to death just to teach over the phone. Well, word gets out, before you know it, more and more people start calling in. And then people had to work or be like, Hey, you know, you're teaching till midnight. Could you record this just in case, like, you know, a kid gets sick or something? And we're literally, we'd be on all night. And the power of God would show up. I mean, it created an entire team that 10 years later. Weird are, this whole team, everybody has been transformed. The children, the parents, them, me, all, all the families. I mean, God did something miraculous in those days. So that we, we, I mean, you guys know what I am like with technology. We found a rudimentary way to record the calls and somehow they start circulating and somehow people start calling in from coast to coast and somehow this, these, these, these really basic recordings get sent out. And Dave and I had by then been remarried restored, redeemed, and we really wanted to have another child. And I just said to Dave, I feel like God's telling us we need to fast for 40 days. Not a full food fast, but a partial fast. At the end of those 40 days, if we have not heard from him, we can have this child. We really want another baby. And at the end of that 40 days, God might... My, we timed it to the hour. So we said we're starting at this hour, we're entering 40 days later to the hour. We were very, God was specific with us. At the end of that 40 days, I had been asked to do an enormous women's conference. I had never spoken, I had never spoken other than on the phone. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, the biggest women's conference they've ever had. We filled the entire hotel of Hershey Hotel, if you know where Hershey Hotel is in Pennsylvania. We filled it, then they filled two other hotels. Mm-hmm. They'd never had a turnout like that since, and God showed up in the most powerful way. And Kim that day was healed and delivered, and she became part of this team. And, but we knew that when they asked me to do that, the hour, the minute I walked out of that meeting when they asked me to come, was the minute the end of our 40-day fast ended. And Dave and I both knew, because I said to him, I can't do both well. You know, I am the wife of a very busy, 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 busy executive. So I need to do all the wifely duties, all the motherly duties. And I can't do this ministry has been absolutely consuming. Um, you know, for parts of our ministry, we have weights that are year, two years long. So I, I'm like, I can't just I, I can't do it both. And so we forfeited a child. And I mourn that. I mourn that baby, and I really thought God was going to do an Abraham thing with us, and we're going to put it on the altar, and we just get surprised pregnant. And now I'm 52, and Lord God, nope, that we don't want to do it now. It's like, <laughs> It's over now, Lord, I'm not. Um, and I really see the, the purpose and the calling, but it was a great morning. And then started 10 years. So I give up a baby for a job I never wanted, just to be honest that I wanted someone else to be up front. I really would like to tell somebody and then I could sit in there and, he asked me to give a baby for a job he asked me to do that I told him I never wanted to do. But you honor God when you really know him, if you really know him, you will do anything for me. His ways are right. I say to him all the time, I vote with you. I vote with you against myself. I don't know what the heck I'm doing and I've made messes of myself. I just am gonna go with you. When I know for sure I've heard your voice, I knew for sure, and a lot of prophecies were spoken over me. And, but what I didn't know, just like all these other suckers, you know. <laughs> okay, here's the prophecy. Okay, now 25 years, 20 years, 13 years. 10. Well, now we're on year 10, and these have been the hardest, hardest. I've been in the middle. And, you know, until I did this, this teaching, I didn't understand. This teaching enlightened me in a way. I mean, I didn't understand, but not like this. This encouraged me. Because, okay, I decided, I, I, I could tell you guys lots of sad, crazy stories, but I wanted to try to give you a little glimpse, okay? And, I, and I'm trying to keep it short, but I want to give you a glimpse because it helps not just to hear the Bible stories, but personal stories of today. So I decided, like, Lord, how do I, we have, been a, we have been under trial in the middle in every area of our life, our finances to extreme degrees, our family relationships to extreme degrees. Uh, the, the, but the health is the one I'm going to talk to you guys about. It's okay. So the health is, I decided I had to pick a category. And, and I decided I have to pick one year. So I decided to pick the last 365 days of, one, of health. That's all I'm going to talk to you guys about today. So, but just take this category and know it's like this and all the others too. So 365 days ago, many of you know that we came down with COVID. I'm going to start with that. And um, we got COVID. So we kept ministering all through COVID. Um, We didn't stop our lives. We knew that the spirit of fear was gripping this nation and we weren't going to participate. We were going to be stupid, but we weren't not going to stop. And we did not ever get COVID through any ministry thing. We got the Delta variant that was killing Florida last summer. We got it so bad that um, Dave Dave got it at the show. He was at a big show for his work. He brings it home to all of us. Several of his coworkers died. His coworkers were much younger. They were in their 30s. They were healthy. One of his coworkers who died had just pulled a moose. He had just gone hunting, pulled a moose out. Like two weeks earlier, he was dead. But we lived but we went through hell with this thing. And you guys know some of the stories because you guys showed up. You know, in James, it talks about, it says, don't be, don't be those Christians who's like, oh, I'll pray for you. You know, it, in James 2, it says, stay well, keep warm, well fed. You know, good luck to you. We hope it works out. The, the Bible says, don't be those Christians. Show up. It says, provide food, provide clothing. Prov- you guys did that. You guys were on our lawn praying. The ambulance was here three times in a week. And you guys were here. We had food. Cat organized food for us every single day for a month. Because we, there were times we couldn't make it down the stairs. All of our bedrooms are upstairs. We couldn't make it down the stairs to get the food on our front door. We couldn't. We couldn't, I tried to hire an ambulance to take Dave to get the monoclonal, no one had heard of it. We were one of the first in this state to get it, and no ambulance would take us. And part of what happened to me was neurology, and I was dizzy. I couldn't read, I couldn't drive, I couldn't see, I was seeing double everywhere. But I knew that my husband's life was in jeopardy, and I knew we had to get the monoclonal. So I crawled down the stairs that morning. I literally was on my butt getting down the stairs. I load him in the back. I knew I couldn't just take him to the hospital. I had to get the monoclonal. I drove for hours and hours and hours. It was like a three-hour drive. We took back roads because I could not drive on the highway. He gets the monoclonal. As soon as he gets the monoclonal, I call 911. We get him in the hospital. They took x-rays of his lungs. They said The doctor's report I read, they said his lungs are like shattered glass. And they said um, the monoclonal saved his life. God gave me the wisdom in my own fog. We were sick for two months. We did not leave this house for two months. We did not leave this house for October. I mean, August and September of last year. If you guys remember, we started Bible study late because I couldn't read. I couldn't stand. And I had long-term COVID for months after this. Months. Then we got COVID two more times. They weren't like that. That's COVID. We have my husband. My husband travels internationally. My husband gets a parasite that is one of the most rarest parasites in the world. From his international travels, the parasite could kill him. It is they're doing um, lab core tests, and every time they test, they're multiplying by the thousands in there, and they migrate to your heart, to your brain, to your organs, and he's a ticking time bomb. And we have tried everything. Nobody knows how to treat it. They literally, we took pesticides. He took pesticides. He took. He took. We had a vet give a prescription. He took a dog. I mean, literally, we were desperate. We were working with doctors everywhere. Finally, we make an appointment to go to Mayo Clinic because they're going to try to do radiation on them. And they cancel our appointment because COVID hits right when we're supposed to go. And they said, sorry, infectious disease is that's the infectious disease category and everything's going to COVID. We're not going to see you. And so we have that whole situation going on. We have. A hormone situation happened with Dave. These parasites have destroyed his hormones. His testosterone goes to an eight. If a man's testosterone is an eight, he the, the doctor said, I have never seen testosterone this low and someone be alive, let alone walk into my office, let alone you're working. You you've got the the parasites, the So they then try to treat, he said, it's an emergency. We have to do a surgery and get testosterone into your body right away because you could stroke out any minute. They do the surgery. They put this testosterone in him, and they over-medicate him, and he goes into menopause. The The doctor says, your husband is in menopause because the testosterone went so high, the estrogen responded, and they said, your husband's in menopause. So my husband's in menopause. They have to give him transgender drugs that knock down the the testosterone. He is hardly able to survive. But he lives. And you know, the parasites are gone and it was a miracle. That's another story. But God did it. No medicine helped us. And medicine made everything worse. God did it. We lived through COVID. We lived through that. My daughter. My daughter, last year, started getting cramps that would keep her in bed for days and she couldn't miss more school because at the beginning she missed a couple weeks of school and the school was like you can't miss and we're like well we had covid we were dying and they were not it was weird it was a very strange thing but we're like okay we're just doing our best to get there so she would try to go and she would call me screaming from the bathroom she'd be vomiting she'd be blacking out I can't tell you how many times we had to go do rescue missions to get her out of the school because she was in such excruciating pain that she could not stand. And we've been to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. And my child has suffered and suffered. She's been in the, well, I'll come back to that. I myself have some mysterious thing with my stomach. I've probably been to 30 doctors. Nobody can figure it out. Doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. Still not resolved. My daughter, this summer, um, goes to, um, oh, there goes the (laughs) umbrella. Um, My daughter, this summer, was in the hospital twice. And the first time, uh, my childhood best friend, she's the best nurse in the whole wide world, she said, we were visiting my Chinese sister, who sometimes, she's moving here, so you guys will get to see her more, but we were visiting her at the beach. And she says, uh, I'm afraid what your daughter's suffering from is meningitis, get her to the emergency room right now. So we got rushed to the emergency room at Moorhead. When we get there, thank God it was not meningitis, but you know, she had to be on IVs and do all this stuff and she recovers. So my prayer all summer, I said, Lord, we have missed so much school from illness. God, I just claim in faith, this is the year. In Jesus' name, this is the year she doesn't miss any school from sickness. This is gonna be a different year. And I just prayed that all summer, prayed that all summer, prayed that all summer. First week of school. My husband is traveling, it's Sunday morning. We are going to a church that we love, We've got an elder here. We love our church, we, had, we traveled a lot, we hadn't been able to be, go there that much and my husband was traveling that morning and I was just so excited, we were laying in bed. She had slept with me, she has to sleep with me still at 17 when daddy's traveling, so, so, so nice. Um, so she had slept with me and we woke up and we're just laying there in bed going, oh, we're so excited, we can't wait to go to church today. And Dave calls. And so, when he calls, she gets up. I didn't know where she went. You know, I figured she went to go get ready for church. And I'm talking to him on the phone and I hear an extreme, blood-curdling scream. And you hear that scream from your kid. You go running, and I can't find her. Finally, I find her. She's in on Dave's toilet. She is completely unconscious. Her head is back. She is white. Her whole face is white. There's no color in her lips. She looks like she's dead she i can't find her breathing i dial 911 (laughs) sorry it still gets me and it's okay but it's hard to go through um we call 911 i can't get her to be conscious and um, i'm just crying out to jesus i say jesus heal her jesus help us finally she opens her eyes and when she opens her eyes it's only black there's no color in her eyes just black pupil and i'm talking to her she's lost her ability to speak she's no language and um the ambulance comes and she starts screaming in pain there is pain in her abdomen and she does not know why or what she woke up that morning she's perfectly fine she is screaming i mean like like a wounded animal, I've never hurt my daughter. Like You don't ever want to hear your kid with that. Sorry. This is a verse I got a lot through these years. It says, many are called or few are chosen. I'm going to circle back to that. Here's a picture of her going in the ambulance. There's a picture of her in the hospital room. Um, Pat and Fanny show up, we're riding in the car together, we're behind the ambulance. And you know what I've said through these years? This is 10 years, okay, 10 years of this stuff and you're just here in one of the categories and you're just here in one of the years. I have said over and over again, I pulled over in my car over and over again and I have said, Satan, you will have to kill me to get me to quit, I'm never going to quit. I'm not gonna stop following God. I'm not gonna stop serving him. Lord, I'm yours. I gave my life to you and I mean it. And however long, whatever, whatever it takes.
1: And I can tell you
0: over and over and over again, I'm like, but if you kill me, you have to go through my God. Good luck with that. He's told me what he wants me to do for him. I've got to do it. But when we were following that ambulance and I just watched my child almost die I'd scream in pain like that and they wouldn't let me be in the ambulance because of COVID. Um, I was in the car with Kat and Fanny and I screamed at the top of my lungs. I said, I quit. And I said a really bad word. (laughs) And I meant it for 10 minutes. And then within 10 minutes, we're still following the ambulance. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't quit. I can't quit. Sorry. I really didn't want to ugly cry. I said, I'm not going to quit. And we got to the hospital. My goodness, I've seen tons of doctors over this. There's no medical explanation as usual. Um. But I know what this is. This is the middle. (laughs) All summer long, it was a really hard summer. And I've had a lot of really hard summers in these 10 years. But this is the scripture that God kept giving me. Many are called, but few are chosen. And when I first started getting it all the time, I didn't really understand it. I really understand it. Lots of people are called, but in the middle they quit. And you know what? It's not about not failing in the middle because you might fail. Because I have and Abraham did and most of them did. Sinners. Saints are just sinners who got up again. It's about even if you scream at the top of your lungs, I quit. And you use profanity. You know? I just like to keep it real. I really hate fake Righteousness, you know, that's why Jesus hung out with the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, because he likes it raw and real. Man, he hates fake religion. Okay, I think you guys are here because you do too. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. <laughs> this would not appeal to you. But anyway, in the middle, they quit. So they don't get chosen at the end. They don't get chosen at the end. And, and I want to be chosen because I really want to honor God with my life. I really want to honor him with my life. Whatever he asks me to do, I want to do it for him. And I want to do it because I love you guys. I really love the people of God. And I know that the people of God, many are suffering the way I suffered because I didn't know the power of God for a really long time. And I didn't know this depth and this realness. and. I don't like standing up here and talking, but I love seeing your lives change. And I love hearing people on the podcast. Every time someone tells me what, how the sermon ministered to them or blessed them or changed them or the podcast, I mean, I cry. Cause I fought, I've stuck in the middle for the people of God. Cause I love you guys. I mean, I really love people. I mean, I meet people and people don't understand. I can know them for five minutes. I have this overwhelming love. Like I want to hug them and kiss on them, and I gotta watch it sometimes. I'm just like I just <laughs> love. Them. So you stay in the middle, and I'm still in the middle. And I tell you, when I read this, when I Thank you. when I did this teaching, I understood it in a way. Man, I was on fire. I'm like I know I'm not the only person in the middle. I know I'm not the only story in this place. I know that most of the people of God are in the middle because the Bible's full of middle stories. That's the way we live most of our life. So Romans 4, 18 through 24. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He's my kind of guy. Do you know how many times I've done that? Just cut back up again and said, I'm going to hope. Doesn't make sense. I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope in the Lord. Believing that he would become the father of nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. See, you know what? You know what? You know what? Let's talk about fake religion for a second. There's a weird thing out there that says, don't say you're sick. Because if you say you're sick, then you'll be sick. And you and so then you, ha- you 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 meet people and they're clearly sick and they say and they're you know and they say no I'm not sick because if I say sick then I then I'll be sick. No Abraham faced the facts. You don't have to play this weird pretend game with God. I don't know if you guys know about that, but that's kind of a trend right now. That's not real. Abraham faced the facts. We don't live in some weird superstitious place. He's like no these are the facts. I'm basically dead. My wife's basically dead, but I still hope in the Lord. Let's just deal with the facts, please. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in, his, and in this he brought glory to God. How, he grew stronger in the waiting. Can I tell you, through these 10 years, my husband, my daughter, and I, we are, trans, we are so totally different than we were 10 years ago when we moved here. We have grown stronger in God. It's nearly killed us, but we've grown stronger. We've wrestled like Jacob. He brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. See, it's his faith. He didn't get it all right. He screwed up sometimes. We talked about that. But God counted him as righteous because he stayed with with faith. He stayed the course. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for his benefit. It says it was recorded for our benefit, assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus Christ. See, it's for us too. We're kind of righteous if we just cling to hope, if we just cling to faith. We get a better, that's, this is Romans 4, Romans 8 gives us another explanation as to why. Because sometimes we're like, why? Sometimes like we're like, haggard. do you see me, God? And he does. It says, for the creation, that's us, was subject to frustration, that's been me, maybe you too, not by its own choice, like we said, who would ever put themselves in the middle on purpose? We don't do it on purpose, not by our own choice. But by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Why does he put us in frustration? In hope that the creation will be liberated from its bondage. The middle liberates from our bondage. The spirit realm works differently than the earthly realm. If you will stay the course with God, the middle will liberate you from the thing that you fear. The thing that's gripping you. The thing that's destroying you like Jacob. It liberates you from it. It liberates you from a bondage of decay and it brings you into freedom. You know, I can tell you when I look back on these 10 years and man, they've hurt. We are told, I'm telling you, I-, I, can't even, I can't even verbalize the transformation. It has brought us freedom. If it doesn't kill you, it frees you in God, right? Not makes you stronger, giving you freedom in God. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. See, we have to stand in hope. Who hopes for what they already have? You don't have to hope for it if you have it. But if we hope for what we do not yet, have we wait for it patiently in the middle. And we know, and this is, see, we know this scripture. We know that all things work together for good to those who love him. What we don't read is the stuff before it. What happens before it all works together for good? Read that part. You're subject to frustration because God wants to liberate us. So you, what are you stuck in the middle? What are you stuck in the middle of? Marriage, children, health, mental health, addiction, your own character shortcomings, finances, your relationship with God, that could be complicated, your family. The middle will entail heartbreak you are going to have to be willing to endure some heartbreak. I'm just telling you. Even Jesus. And and in the middle, there's no way you can figure out how it's ever going to work out. And if in the middle you try to spend time figuring out how it's going to work out, you will destroy your own faith. You will ruin yourself. You will be an anxious, crazy mess you'll be a Sarah making messes see she was trying to figure out how it's going to work out so she just made a big 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 mess in the middle Joseph as he's sitting there in that terrible prison never could have known in a minute he'd be raised up second in the nation you can't figure that out you can't you can't plan and scheme your way out of that you know in the in the middle Abraham couldn't have done every single month Abraham was disappointed for a hundred years, because the disappointment is what will derail you the most. Every single month, hopeful, disappointed. Hope for a hundred years. It's a long time. But he didn't forfeit his hope. Interestingly enough, the middle is the place where you're blessed, but not the place where you receive the blessing. The middle is the place where you learn how to sustain the blessing God wants to give you. The middle is what makes the blessing be able to last. Here's the story, this is really cool. I started as, I mean, I was on fire with this. And I did a little research, I was curious. Abraham, 25 years in the middle. He lived to be 175 years old. 25 years of suffering, a whole lot of blessing. Jacob, 20 years, in the middle. He lived to be 147 years. A lot of blessing. See, when you're in 20 years, it feels like it will never end. It feels like it is a prison death sentence. But when you stay the course, there's a whole lot of blessing on the backside. Joseph, in the middle, 13 years. He lived to be 110. King David, 15 years in the middle. He was king for 40 years. And we didn't talk about Job because I just had to pick a few. But I just wanted to tell you guys know the story of Job. Do you know, the Bible says, I looked it up in the middle of the night last night. I'm like, I wonder about Job. I looked it up. The Bible says after he made it through the testing in the middle, he lived 140 years more. So a testing that feels like you're going to die and it's going to kill you. like, Like Hagar. Her son lived to be 173 years. She lived 16 hard years. But man man Galatians 6 9 let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest read that out loud with me if we do not give up don't give up my family don't give up many are called but few are chosen I feel like the people who are in this room, listen, people who are attracted to this are because they want something deep, something real. You're going to be chosen. You're going to be called. And I think a lot of you guys are in the middle and I just we're going to take a minute. I have put paper and pen on the tables and it was a last minute thought, so hopefully you can find some paper and some pens. I want you guys to write down what you're in the middle of because I don't want this to walk I don't want this to walk out the door. It has to sustain you. Maybe 10 years, 15, 20. We don't know when the middle ends. Only God knows. And you know, it's easy, like I I preached on in Jesus' name, and it's easy to be like, hey, God, listen, God uses us, our family, to heal many other people, yet we haven't been healed. You know, he uses us to bless many other families. that we. But now I understand because we're in the middle. Okay, I I can do this. But what are you in the middle of? And, and, and write down what you're in the middle of and put this piece of paper in your wallet, your, wherever you're going to have it, because you're going to need to be reminded. All right, you guys, stand up with your middles. Listen, I want to say this. If your middle is your child, I just want to remind you, Jacob thought he lost Joseph for a long, long time. He thought it was there was no hope, and God brought him back. I just wanted to. I just as we were praying, I just that came to me. I wanted to speak it. I felt like someone needed to hear that. Oh, Father God, we don't like the middle, but we trust you, God. We give these middles to you. And we believe that in all things, all things work together for good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, even if we've messed it up, even if we're in the middle of our own volition. God, you're a redeemer, a restorer. You give it back better than it ever was before, God. You make all things new. God, give us the strength Give us the fortitude, not our own strength. We'll never be able to do it. But the strength given to us by the Holy Spirit that we will stay the course, that we will finish the race, even if we're limping our way across the finish line. We're going to finish. We're going to win the victory. We're going to be overcomers. We are going to overcome we're going to stay the course and we're going to overcome and we're going to be victorious and there will be praise to you, God, for the miracles you will do. The miracles you will do. And however dark it gets or however long it lasts, Lord God, we just want to stay faithful to you, God, and we give you, we well, can't work it out. We can't figure it out. We we can never figure out how. We just know we're going to stay, stay in your presence. Just walk with you. God, just trust in you with all our heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your way, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path and make it straight. Lord, you've promised to, and we believe you. We thank you. Bless you, Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.